0: It's imperative that the district remain committed to accurate and science-based curricula.
1: Comprehensive sexual education is critical. But they must not limit
2: access. They will be taking away the rights of everyone. Banning the books.
0: We want them to know exactly what we are teaching and how we are presenting things.
3: Parents get political. significant portions of the material may violate Florida
4: state law.
2: No. No. Yes. Yes. No.
1: Yes.
4: The item fails five to four. Few in number, but they get their way.
1: We need to make sure that we have a true Democrat. The only polls that matter... The Excuse me. election. I today, wouldn't Charlie. interrupt
4: you. I hope you would extend me the same courtesy.
1: Shots and side eyes. I-, I love how Charlie likes to rewrite history. The Democrats' debate.
3: We need a governor who wants to care about the people of our state.
1: Who will take on Ron DeSantis?
3: He get a rifle defense. He said to me, Get out of here, things are about to get
4: bad. Reliving the horror and the heartbreak.
3: I saw a pile of
2: blood like forming under him, and I saw his body not spasming, but more like trying to take his like final breaths.
4: The penalty phase underway.
0: The barrel of that AR-15 just ambushed our classroom.
4: Boom, boom. As jurors consider life or death, for the Stoneman Douglas High murder. Yes. the big news of the week. All live this week in
1: South Florida.
4: Wow, what a week, good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney.
1: I'm Glenna Milberg and we begin with a book that is now banned from Miami Dade schools. In a five to four vote this week, school board members pulled a textbook about sex health education based on a petition by a relatively small number of objections and against the will of the majority
4: of parents and the district's own objective advisor. The board approved using that book after a public hearing in April, but since then it appears politics has come into play. There is an election August 23rd. Three school board members are on the ballot and they have challengers conservative challengers candidates who oppose these books
1: veteran board member marta perez was one of those who voted to remove that sex health textbook and she is with us this morning live via zoom good morning marta good morning
4: how are you marta perez good morning we are glad to see you thank you for joining us well first let's just get to the basics you voted against using this textbook um, comprehensive health skills which has been in the uh, uh, the school curriculum why did you vote against it
0: well i it, it uh, we we had voted against it uh, i had voted against it before but the reason uh, is that some of the other chapters in the book are uh, perhaps offensive to some of the parents particularly about the uh, t- transgender fluid gender, things like that. But I did not vote against uh, sex education. Uh, what I have proposed is that we have uh, these chapters that we're gonna be using, which is only a couple of chapters in the book, have that and have each parent opt in, have a parent sign that they are okay with having their, their child have this uh, um, education Just as we ask parents if we could take pictures of their children in school, or just as we say, you know, sign so we can take them on a field trip, let's have parents sign off on whether this is education that is appropriate for
1: their children. So that, Um, I I hate to interrupt you, but there is a significant difference between those two things in that this kind, this component of education is actually required by the state. So without this textbook now, and without, uh, without replacing the textbook at the same time as the board banned it, really the district is out of state compliance?
0: It is not correct to say it was banned. It was just the way it was presented was was voted down. But that doesn't mean that we cannot take the chapter, the, the chapters, show them to the parents, say, are you okay with this or are you not? Also, I'd like to correct the fact that uh, the majority of the parents uh, wanted it and all, that uh, I have to say, just yesterday, I, was, I spoke to a group of Muslim parents. They were very concerned. A lot of parents currently, are uh very concerned about you know uh, part of the the chapters were uh said about side gender gender fluidity things like that so we need to make the parents our partners in this and i think a, a very easy solution is to say opt in it's not banning books at all at all it's a opt-in we're just as we say can we take a picture of your child we're going to say is this a chapter that's okay with you and yeah. and and that's and it's not that we're yeah. not going to have sex education yeah Dr. Perez, if i
4: i, 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 I beg saying, your pardon let me let me let me jump in because we really want this to be a conversation uh we understand i understand i remember i met my first transgender person about five years ago And I kind of reeled back and you know but then I said this is life and you better get used to it so kids who are between the ages of what 13 and 18 they know there are transgender people and they would like to know more in a clinical classroom setting about that Uh, so parents are concerned we understand but why not have that in a textbook
0: can have it in a textbook, absolutely. But some parents would prefer that sexual conversations be had with them. And that is, uh, as long as the parents are okay with it, then uh, we, we, we will offer it. But I think we have to make parents our partners in this and make sure that they are okay with it. And by the way, the conversation really Uh, We need, we have so many issues, uh, Michael and Glenna, teacher shortage, mental health,
1: safety of our students that are of, of such importance of course, in our community. Of course, of course. And, and just for the record, our, our little show on Sundays, we do news of the week. We could go on for the whole day talking about all of those issues. But specifically this week, it appears that this removal of this book could be the first test case of Florida's new parental rights and education mm-hmm. law, which is now, what's today, in its 24th day. Um, and so th- the question is, The parents who petitioned to remove this book, 278 signatures. There are 340,000 students in this district. Of those 278 signatures, 44 of them were actually Miami-Dade school parents. So does this to you show that this new law is, is really going to have some very serious effects that that may come down to a fraction of the people involved.
0: Well, I can tell you I am campaigning, so I'm walking. And I can tell you that a lot of parents, particularly parents who are new to this country, uh, don't know that they can petition, don't know that they can write letters. As I said, I just addressed a Muslim group. Uh, uh, so it it is not fair to say it's 44 parents because there are many parents that are very concerned and would like to have conversations about sex, either have them themselves or approve what, what is being uh, taught to their children. And as you know, I have always been very concerned in the past with the Vamos a Cuba, uh, what is presented to our students because that's part of the responsibility of of school board members and I think it is not outrageous uh to ask parents is it okay is this uh is this lesson okay with you and there's a big well, difference but, between know, math doc- and reading yeah and and sexual education yeah.
4: Dr Perez I, I I think it goes without saying you can't have a referendum on every textbook every theme I mean you have to leave this you know the most responsible textbooks that you can find and then leave it up to the teachers to teach but I mean if you want to talk about objecting to the way American history is taught or of course then we get back to what Glenna said which is this new parental rights in education. Although let me just say parenthetically I had a daughter in school public school 30 years ago whenever we had concerns about the school i didn't need a bill to allow me or my wife to go talk to the principal or the teacher i mean they were they welcomed those kinds of conversations and i suspect they still do
0: yes i i i agree with you and fortunately we have many parents uh like you michael that were educated and that that know how to go to the schools and address it, but uh, we need to make a bigger push to some of the parents who are still not involved enough in their children's education and don't know that they're able to come and uh, and speak. And we have a group, as you know, our community has changed dramatically since your children were in school. Uh, We have many immigrant parents we have very poor. We, we just got an A rating. Miami day just got an A rating from the state. And uh, we have the largest number of poor students in Florida. That is uh, a wonderful news that we should be celebrating, but we need to make sure that the parents, particularly poor parents are our partners at all times.
1: Let me uh, turn really quickly to the election coming up. You have been in that school board seat 24 years. You are a veteran of that board, been through a lot. Um, It is a nonpartisan seat. You are a Republican by politics, a conservative woman, always always has been. And this year you are being primaried, opposed, uh, as are your colleagues on the board who are up for reelection by um, what appears to be, and what many have documented, is a concerted and strategic state effort to -hmm. really place their own, the state administration's own people on school boards. Um, Your take on that?
0: Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think that uh, an A-rated school district, uh, 93% graduation rate, i have the largest high school in florida and it's an a rating i was hoping that people would see the great job that we are doing and and i'm hoping that they thought i was doing a great job but because i voted for the mask mandate to be extended uh two uh, two weeks because that's what uh, our experts our medical experts told us to do uh I, I, I have an, a very well-funded opponent who is receiving monies from conservative groups throughout the United States, monies from people that don't even know me and all the successes that we have had and that District Eight has had under my leadership, all the wonderful schools we have only A, uh, uh, my, my elementary schools are all rated A, no d's and c's and i am being we
4: we we know you work very hard you have for 24 years and we will follow your campaign here for re-election and we appreciate your time this morning
1: you do thanks so much thank you thank you and up next a school board member who voted to keep that sex ed textbook
4: we're going to speak with dr steve Gallon. Four school board members who voted to keep a sex health education textbook in middle and high school classes, which was recommended by a school district hearing officer.
1: And that included that opt-out for any parent who might choose to do that. The board's vice chair was one of those who voted to keep it in. Steve Gallen, Dr. Steve Gallen here with us today. Steve, great to see you and thanks for your time this morning.
5: Uh, Good morning, Glenn and Michael. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Steve.
1: Hopefully, you were listening to our last segment. You were able to hear your colleague Marta Perez talking about parents should be opting in instead of opting out. Um, I think maybe it comes down to sex ed is actually health to some people and sex to others. Um, What's your take on that?
5: Yes. uh, Thanks for the question. The the provision to opt in is, quite frankly, inconsistent with current statute. The statute provides an opportunity for parents to opt out. So the Miami-Dade County Public School Board and our administration uh, follow the procedures consistent with law. Uh, we've had an amplified narrative around some key buzzwords, uh, one beginning with A, that has really uh, dominated the discourse, and that word is abortion. But we also have other words that are in the curriculum, Michael and Glenna, like abstinence abstinence awareness abuse these are critically important topics to our students not only in school but in life so our parents should be able to avail themselves to the requirements under state statute and they should not have to make a formal declaration to do that
4: yeah uh dr gallen as you know the textbook in question does include a section in which abortion is mentioned and of course that's a legitimate thing to talk about with kids and it talks about morning after pills even names a few it says that you know for a child who may be confused and and uh, in trouble thinking about their sexual identity they should speak to a trusted adult now frankly none of that just seems over the top to me what about you
5: Uh, Absolutely, Michael. I am not only a school board member, but you all know that I'm a 30-year educator and a principal, a teacher, a superintendent of schools. Uh, But equally important, I am a parent of a daughter in the Miami-Dade County Public Schools. I'm a parent of a granddaughter in the Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Education has always been grounded on knowledge, and knowledge is power. We want our students at the appropriate time to receive the scientifically-based, fact-based, evidence-based information so that they can make sound decisions decisions for their learning and their lives. So absolutely, I think that knowledge is critically important and at the end of the day, it does not run counter to the provisions of parental choice because parents do have a choice of which I value, of which I respect, and yes, they are partners and they have an opportunity to opt out if they have any concerns regarding the content to be presented to their children.
1: You know you said something very interesting at the hearing wednesday you had said i'm not, I'm not going to quote you verbatim because i can't do that off the top of my head but your point was this parents choice isn't new we've always had parents choice in school um you remember saying that right yes absolutely okay so now we have parents choice as a statutory florida law and and i think um from what we've seen just kind of observing the last couple of weeks parents choice is about to take on a whole new meaning in public schools in florida do you see that
5: yes in, in some cases and i've been very uh, open about the fact that parent choice is not a new narrative it's not a new reality so i never got any consternation around the provisions outlined in the new law because i embrace parent choice fully but what i am concerned about is the possibility and the proclivity of parental choice provisions being utilized as a Trojan horse to advance certain tenets, certain uh, indoctrinations, certain positions that run counter to the democratic process that we call public education. Uh, listen, in this particular case, one of the most vocal critics in this particular process is not a parent of the Miami-Dade County Public School student. Uh, that is a fact, according to most reports. Uh, and again, we have an opportunity for those parents to speak. Uh, They have an opportunity to work with their teachers, their principals, so parental choice is not a new concept. But I am concerned that such uh, examples of this, it can be a a conduit for organizations, in this particular case, a relatively new organization, to utilize parental choice provisions as a means to uh, avail themselves to a platform to debunk opportunities and to deny access to critically important information uh, for all of Miami Dade County Public
4: Schools' yeah, children. Yeah. Steve Gamlin, I, I take that,
5: it. Information that we've been availed uh, throughout our entire lives.
4: Yeah. Steve, I take it you were referring to this group called County Citizens Defending Democracy, CCDC, which is led by a gentleman named Alex Serrano. We have invited Mr. Serrano to be on this program next week. Uh, Mr. Serrano um, is leading a group of Obviously, politically conservative people, God bless them. They can believe whatever they want. But, uh, you know, he told the Miami Herald that he didn't want his children's peers to be indoctrinated by ideology from the instructional materials. What does that tell you about Mr. Serrano, maybe, and his group?
5: I think it reflects an uh, unprecedented uh, temerity, a sense of gall. I don't need Mr. Serrano or any o- other organization to preempt uh, my role as a parent, uh, my role as a gran- grandparent, and the role and responsibility of parents from across this particular county. I think it is quite insulting for one to suggest that parents are not able to make those sound decisions, especially from an individual who represents him or herself as a stakeholder, has no children in the school district, but is leading this particular charge. Listen, we're not naive to what this is about. Uh, our Miami-Dade County Public Schools has been very uh, steadfast and staying away from partisan politics. Uh, but obviously, when you have some issues led by organizations that really speak to an agenda that is inconsistent with the tenants, with the law, with the options that parents have, it is quite concerning. But again, as a parent, and the parents that I know from Florida City to County Line Roll they are in a position to do what's best on behalf of their children and make those sound choices through the appropriate process. And let me say, 278 petitions were filed. Four individuals showed up and only three spoke. Uh, well, that yeah, is which
1: a, we, actually, a, we actually address.
5: Yeah. That's a significant number and that is very telling.
1: Yeah, and Dr. C. Gellin, um gotta go and appreciate your time very, very much.
4: Dr. Gallen, great speaking with you again, thanks. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Up next, uh, we're going to to turn to vote 2022 and one South Florida race for Congress.
1: On TikTok, as a matter of fact, (laughs) candidate Ken Russell will join us next.
4: Miami City Commissioner Ken Russell is looking to go to Washington. He started by running for the Senate, but he decided to drop out of that race and back Democrat Val Demings instead. He
1: then entered the race for Congress to flip, try and flip District 27 now held by first term Republican Maria Salazar. But he has a tough primary fight there, too, against State Senator Annette Tadeo. What Russell has that (laughs) none of his opponents has is a viral presence on TikTok.
5: I think it's very vile. To back around, that's right On time, This is my recital I think it's very To around, that's right On
4: Well, that is something else, huh? That is the latest post that went viral this week by Ken Russell he is the master of Tiktok. He also has earned over a million dollars from Tiktok followers. Ken Russell, so, uh, how are you? Great so to is, see you.
1: Uh, Tiktok is the new campaign frontier for you, yes.
3: If candidates can figure it out, it will be, but it's tricky. It's not like Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for having me, both of you.
1: How, how much time do you spend... Those are not easy to make. They are not, and I know yeah. you do I it.
3: knew you were going to go for the hard question first, Glenna. That's I what am, we do here. Let's just put it this way: my family had an intervention. They found on my phone how many hours a week I spent, and they all got together and said, "It's got to stop." Yeah. But I said, "Listen, it's doing the campaign." They said, "No, it's not doing the campaign. You're watching silly videos."
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, look, just there is no question. You are the master of doing these little political spots uh, on TikTok. And the people who follow you there, and I don't know, last time I looked, it was something like 375,000 followers, maybe there are more. uh, They sent you a lot of money. How much? Over a million bucks.
3: I'm not able to um, parse exactly how much of it came through, but we see when we go live and when we're we're active on TikTok, we see the the numbers increase. Uh, We've raised over $1.5 million for this campaign so far. We've been running for the last year. Um, and a lot of it has come from social media. And only this week, now that TikTok is Women's Voices of Southwest Florida north. Have, has moved over to Twitter, we're starting to raise money there as well.
1: So, social media is so critical in a lot of ways in so many industries, really. Um, will it translate to votes? I mean, people here in South Florida know mm-hmm. your record. You have been very vocal as an environmentalist. You've been on the Miami Commission. You have a record there that is good or bad, depending on your perspective. But but in CD 27, District 27, Congressional District of Miami, Maria Salazar, Congresswoman there now, um, the demographics of that District that you're running for very interesting. Three out of four people are Hispanic. It skews way older by decades than Mm -hmm. the average TikTok user. Um, Gen Z, maybe 10% of that district is of voting age, the youngest voting age. Do you think this is going to translate into votes? Getting all of that interest from from the demographic of voters that vote the least, which is great. What do you What do you think is going to happen, practically speaking?
3: I do, and we, we are running a bread and butter campaign as well. I'm knocking on 40,000 doors before the primary. Um, I'm visiting churches, HOAs. I've got tons of endorsements. Um, we're doing the hard work as well. The question about TikTok is really interesting because candidates can't seem to figure it out or get it to work because they do the traditional robotic commercials. You've got to be yourself. You've got to connect, and, and I'm just being myself, and it's really engaging. Um, whether that translates to votes, the, the proof will be in the pudding on August 23rd.
4: Yeah. Uh, Ken, we know that, um, I know from knowing you for several years, that you speak some Spanish. I'm not sure how fluent you are, but of course your opponent in the Democratic primary, Annette Tadeo, Tadeo, was born in Colombia. She is totally fluent. We know Maria Alvira Salazar, of course, is Cuban-American. She is fluent too. Uh, Are you fluent enough to really campaign in a district that, as Glenna says, is heavily Hispanic?
3: Mira, Michael, no hablo español perfectamente, but enough. I've been on live TV for 30 minutes at a time, live radio on Spanish. Um, I've worked in Venezuela and Mexico. I was president of my Spanish club in high school. Um, I actually speak five languages, and I've been to 55 countries. It's not about being Hispanic. It's about understanding and embracing diversity, and our voters recognize that. Um, there's also a misconception. This pri- in this primary, the Hispanic population is the minority. Non-Hispanic voters far outweigh Hispanic voters in this primary.
1: So let's talk a little bit about um, your ascension in politics. You got into the the city politics because the park across from your house, this is, this is a well-known now narrative, your entry very grassroots, park was contaminated across from your house, you jumped in, you're now a commissioner, um, and you wanna go to Washington, which is a, a very different pool to swim in. Um, you're one of five votes right now on the Miami Commission. You're 20 percent of the lead. In Washington, you are a fractional member. Um, so what you're up against? All but the polling right now, and you know we're not a big fan of basing everything on polls. But the polling right now shows you've got a really heavy lift to overcome Annette Tadeo's lead. What do you see as your strong point taking on a Washington role when all of your Politics have been so local.
3: local. Well, I love being the scrappy underdog. When I did first run for office after helping clean up that contaminated park, I was polling in third place, and I was running against someone who had over 1.6 million dollars for a city council seat. Yet I won hands down just by knocking on doors, asking questions, listening, and and offering solutions. My track record, the big difference that's going to make a make make a make make this race is the contrast between Senator Today and myself. She has been a perpetual candidate for years, working to get a job rather than getting jobs done, whereas I've been trying to solve problems even from before being in office. Once I've been in office, I've passed literally dozens and dozens of legislation, ordinances, resolutions that I've written, sponsored, and found the votes for while in the minority of a very tough, rough-and-tumble commission. Now, there's a lot of accomplishment there on the environment, infrastructure, police oversight, um, you name it, affordable housing, affordable housing. These are things that I can show that I've, I've made accomplishments at the city level and I'm looking for the missing part at the federal level. I'm not looking to go to Washington. I want to be Mr. 786. I want to, Mr. 305 is already taken. I want to be a representative for our community from Washington.
4: All right. Well, uh, let me just say again, we invited Anna Tadeo to be here for a kind of a little mini debate and she declined. Uh, she's been on the program before but we're glad you're here uh ken let me ask you about you know a major issue in the 27th district is u.s policy towards cuba uh president biden has not really changed u.s policy very much from what it was uh from president trump although we see this week that american airlines is getting permission or asking for permission to fly to five other cities once again in cuba beyond havana would you support that? you think that that's a, a good move for the United States?
3: With the right conditions, we, we do need to re-engage and open. But here's the problem. The Democratic Party is absolutely broken from D.C., and especially in this cycle, those who are tied to the Washington establishment are going to have trouble. They can't figure out South Florida, and they certainly can't figure out the international relations that South Florida and our representatives should lead on. Instead, we fight about it. And what Washington believes they need and why they recruited, and at Tadeo, is they wanted to actually emulate the Republicans. They think we need to be more like the Republicans, rail at the regimes in Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela. We need to pretty much simulate what Maria Elvira says. And we don't want Maria Elvira light. We want a contrast. And my contrast is to offer solutions that we need to build a coalition of like-minded countries in this entire hemisphere as we see country after country go away from democracy it's, it's not just about sitting back from the easy seat in Miami and yelling at those regimes. It's about finding solutions with the partners who still agree with us about free pep, press, free economy, free elections.
1: So, Ken Russell, just like TikTok, we do things pretty quick here. <laughs> and uh, we thank you for joining us for these few minutes. And we will be watching and maybe have you back. To
3: Ken, thank you. Ken for Florida TikTok. <laughs> See you guys there. Bye.
4: Okay. <laughs>
1: All right, up next, the Democratic candidates who want to be governor, looking to
4: sway voters. The two candidates meant. Unfortunately for Nikki, she's losing this campaign and that's unfortunate, Uh, but you want somebody to win and who can win in November.
1: You have a choice. We can keep losing or we can try something new. The big he said she said the democrats who want to be florida governor charlie, charlie christ and nikki oh, freed have sorry. had a series of appearances and forums to convince democrat primary voters he or she is the one who can beat governor ron desantis
4: in november but they have had only one tv debate happen this week it was contentious and lively but it changed did it change any minds that it moved the needle Let's ask Professor Sean Foreman. He is a political scientist at Barry University. There he is, Sean. Good afternoon. Great to see you. Hi. S-
6: Hi. Good afternoon, Michael and Glenna.
4: So, did it move the needle for either candidate?
6: I don't think so. Uh, you know, I think we'll we'll have to see in the next poll. But there'll probably not be anything significant out of this. Uh, you know, one of the concerns is. I'm not sure how many people really viewed that uh, debate on Thursday night. Mm -hmm. It was squeezed in right before one of the Democratic January 6th hearings. Um, It wasn't well uh, publicized, even by the station that held it. Um, And, uh, you know, I think Charlie Chris campaign doesn't want people to know that it happened. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) not many viewers for it. And it was contentious, but there wasn't anything that I think will change any people's minds when it comes to the polls.
1: You know, it was, um, to your point, if you watched or not, people who are interested are going to be watching them, where they go, how they campaign, and what they do, and they've been at forums together. There really wasn't any new ground broken at all. So then, does it, Sean, come down to a matter of style? Because, you know, they're mm-hmm. aligned politically in a lot of different issues. They have very similar political views, obviously. Um, does it come down to that matter of style? Because, boy, are their styles very different.
6: Yeah yes i really do think style and personality there is not much substantive difference between charlie christ and nikki freed on the main issues um charlie Crist makes that point <laughs> you know there's not much difference between us here nikki uh to show the voters that that she doesn't really bring anything different than picking charlie christ and of course he runs on his experience most of which was as a republican in tallahassee um so i really do think it comes down to substance and style and Nikki Freed is much more passionate in her delivery. She does seem to be getting a bit desperate in her talking points because she has to. She's behind in the yeah. polls, the endorsements, the money. And so she needs something to drastically change things. Um, but I don't see that it's happened right now. So, you know, she's running out of time uh ballots are going out last right. day to register to vote or change your party registration is tomorrow monday remember this is a closed primary for democratic voters right. those are the only ones voting here and um a lot of them seem to like charlie chris they've embraced him over the last six years that he's been an elected uh democrat
4: well he is a very likable guy and uh, and she is admirable I think she's tough and she is passionate. She did say one thing that I really stumbled over in the debate, she and Charlie were talking, debating abortion, which was, you know, hot topic. He once was really pro-life and now he is pro-choice. And she turned to him and she said, when a woman in Florida dies from not being able to get an abortion, that's on you, Um, you know, I, I know that this is a debate and tempers get short but uh, that seemed kind of harsh to me what do you think
6: well it is uh, nikki freed uses a lot of harsh language that's uh she's you know I, I mean this as an attack dog politician that's her style she's the top elected democrat in florida has been for four years and so she's been the real point person going after governor DeSantis. You know, she also said, I'm the first one to call DeSantis a fascist and a dictator. Right. So that's the kind of language she uses. And again, she needs to do that. She needs to point out that Charlie Christmas used to be more conservative because a lot of voters here are new to the state or they don't remember that. Um, it just doesn't seem to be breaking through. And, and you know, she probably needs to get nastier or meaner or more pointed with her um, attacks. But that also has, has a chance of backfiring
1: you know that that's such a good point she just keeps hammering away how he used to be a Republican but with the number one priority for Democrats in Florida to unseat Ron DeSantis wouldn't that be a plus for him in the general wouldn't that make him more likely to be able to beat Ron DeSantis with Republican maybe moderate Republicans or independents
6: Well, this is the big Democrat versus Republican struggle we've been thinking about is do Democrats want someone who attacks to the middle who's more moderate like Joe Biden who could pick up independence and and uh, upset Republicans? Or do you want someone who goes to the left? You know, four years ago, remember Democrats picked Andrew Gillum, uh, even though Gwen Graham was sort of the front runner and Philip Levine up until the last couple of weeks. Again, it's a closed primary for Democratic voters who might be a little bit more liberal than the mainstream. Um, so Democrats have to figure out what's their best tack. You pick someone like Charlie Chris closer to the middle to get moderates, or do you pick Nikki Freed who could possibly, uh, you know, really energize the, the left-wing base. Um, I'm not sure what's the winning formula right now. You know, DeSantis has good popularity and good fundraising as well, so.
1: Oh, come on, uh, make 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 the call so we can refer back <laughs> to the tape. Come on.
6: Well, you know, look, <laughs> I mean, I think Chris is going to win, but if you know, Democrats want a contrast, something new, they're probably better off picking Nikki Fried. Charlie Christ versus Rick Scott in 2014. I this is sort of a repeat of that. I think if you pick yeah. Charlie mm-hmm. Christ again.
4: Yeah, I think the real question is, how badly does she beat him up? In the next three weeks and wound him so that he's not as strong a candidate to run against the santas anyway sean foreman always great to speak with you thank you thanks for your so much many insights thanks so much
6: have a great day
4: <laughs> all right a gut-wrenching week in the penalty phase uh, in the trial of nicholas cruz
1: up next a veteran south florida prosecutor weighs in as prosecutors in that case make the case for the death penalty
6: I had turned around. I saw the shooter was standing behind me. I was shot four times. He targeted me, started shooting at me. I looked down and I see my ankles
4: bone off to bits. Wow. What testimony. A gut-wrenching week in the penalty phase. Trial of Nicholas Cruz, confessed murderer of 17 souls at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High a little more than four years ago.
1: During this first week of the sentencing phase, prosecutors began laying out their case for the death penalty for that young man who pleaded guilty. This standard part of the criminal justice process is anything but standard in this case and with us today to talk all about that gail levine a veteran prosecutor who has tried some of south florida's most high profile cases gail great to have you
4: gail welcome thank you good to see you Uh, gail let me begin with sort of a kind of a strategy question the defense chose not to do an opening statement so it has been all prosecution this week and i have to say uh mike satz the lead prosecutor uh has been relentless and effective You know, I think he's presented, he, you know, presented just almost an airtight case. It looks like, you know, that it was premeditated and, and heinous, as he says, uh, is the, is the defense making a mistake?
2: Well, let's say this was a state week. That's what I would say. If I was, uh, reviewing it over the weekend and deciding what I was doing, Uh, they did a great job. They built a brick wall. They're building it higher and higher. It is, uh, they're unstoppable right now. And I think that that was their strategy and that's what they were doing. So
1: Uh, why, to your point, Gail, with this wall being built brick by brick, why isn't the defense cross-examining the witnesses? Or why didn't they do an opening statement? Why are they essentially allowing it to happen, but for a lot of objections to some of, of what's being presented, why?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of strategy to that. People think the last thing you hear is the last thing you remember. So they're hoping, hopefully thinking, let us do our story after the wall is made, and let's see whether we can get that wall knocked down. The problem with that is, of course, the state has rebuttal, so they will get the last uh-huh. word.
4: Yeah. Uh, Gail, we have watched uh, with fascination and Frankly, a little bit of horror this week, Uh, the shots of Nicholas Cruz sitting in court mainly with his head down, sometimes with his fingers over his ears, not to hear the audio of uh, these poor children dying and moaning. Uh, There is a video that we have shown in our coverage this week. Um, I, I mean, this is just brutal stuff, and your heart breaks for the parents who are in the courtroom
2: sure um i i call that look the menendez brother sweater uh he's trying to look uh forlorn but what he is up against and what is uh being driven home on the videos that are not being shown to the public is that his actions were pitiless that means he lacked pity when he went after meadow luke peter shot them as they're trying to get back into the classroom. And then he gives them contact wounds. He's pitiless.
1: You know, I, um, I want to talk about those families. That, that's kind of what I've been watching. You watch the gallery. Yeah. Y- you've done those cases. I've been in courtrooms yes. when you've done those cases. What is it like as a prosecutor to have to build that case, to have to be very calculating in what happened? the medical examiner testimony, the details of what the victims went through. What is so, it like to do that when the families are right there watching?
2: So these families are not unknown to these prosecutors. They are part of the prosecution team. They have been discussed. They have sat in the prosecutor's offices. They want the death penalty.
1: I, actually, they, not all of them do. I, I, was figuring you were going to bring that up i just want to put on the record that we've talked to some families who don't and and you know the families aren't monolithic obviously they they are mixed on that
2: they are they are a majority do Mm -hmm. so the ones that are there are the ones that are sitting there listening because they want to hear they need closure they need to hear it maybe some of them have heard some of the evidence before maybe some of them have chosen not to But the prosecutor has done an amazing job in nuts and bolting what they hear and what they see and showing the jury everything they need to see. They've also done an amazing job. They have comfort rooms, they have um, therapy dogs, they have their ability to bring psychologists or people that are comforting to them to get through this process because this is a process that the community speaks. The law says the community makes the decision right. about
4: Nicholas Cruz. Right, well, and, as, as you lawyers would say, the style of the case is the state of Florida versus Nicholas Cruz. I mean, but they're certainly thinking of the families of the victims and the victims themselves.
2: One thing I wanna say is anytime we had something that was very devastating to the family, Uh, A VICTIM COUNSELOR, WHICH THE PROSECUTOR'S OFFICE HAS VERY, VERY uh, WELL-EDUCATED VICTIM COUNSELORS THAT HAVE GONE THROUGH THIS PROCESS, THEY HELP THE VICTIMS OUT OF THE COURTROOM, AND THEY SAY, LISTEN, YOU DON'T WANT TO HEAR THIS, THIS ISN'T SOMETHING THAT, YOU KNOW, WE DISCUSS THAT YOU WANT TO HEAR. WE ACTUALLY WATCH THAT HAPPEN, YEAH. Yeah.
4: RIGHT.
1: SO I WANT EVERYONE TO KNOW THAT, GAIL, YOU'RE GOING TO BE WITH US ALL WEEK, YOU AND Janine STANWOOD ON DIGITAL, MORE ANALYSIS IN THAT TRIAL, AND WE APPRECIATE IT ALL. THANK YOU. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate we'll be right, it. We'll be right back. What an hour and to rewatch today's interviews. Just scan this QR code right there with your phone and it takes you right to the This Week in South Florida section of local10.com and as always, we thank you for being with us. We're online. Remember 24 seven.
4: Stay informed, get involved, have a great Sunday.